For the better part of America's filmmaking history, Hollywood has been responsible for churning out the movies we love. Whether that was horror, drama, comedy, western, musicals, or romance, the movie-making machine was booming. Starting in the 50s and 60s, and before the new Hollywood movement, independent filmmaking began to release groundbreaking and thought-provoking movies, challenging the status quo. One of the earliest examples of this is our subject today. Known for its gritty realism and eye-opening footage, it's a movie that turns heads, started a conversation for activism, and influenced other filmmakers of the future. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a glass of ice, peach tea. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glaze Cinema. cinema, specifically American documentary filmmaking. It was directed by a man who helped usher in a new way to look at filmmaking, and one that took influences from previous movements to make something new. Blending scripted dialogue and activism with documentary filmmaking, it highlights a specific moment and place, a place that many people might not be familiar with. Before we get into that though, let's talk about a few things first to get a sense of what that place was and the time this takes place, because I think that's pretty important. First, we should probably illuminate the namesake of this film. After all, if you've never heard of The Bowery, you might be scratching your head. The Bowery is an area of New York City, specifically on the east side of Lower Manhattan. Today, the Bowery is a place of culture, host to upscale hotels, great restaurants, and a thriving art scene with expensive and sought-after real estate. The Bowery has seen a lot in its time and has a pretty colorful past to unfurl for those interested in history. Today's subject showcases this area in the 1950s, when it looked very different from what I just described. 
The Bowery is a neighborhood that has a storied past. The name comes from the Dutch word of Bowery, which translates to farm in English. What began as a Native American trail became farmland within New Amsterdam in the 1600s. It then housed wealthy families and mansions in the 1700s, saw the parade of Washington and his victorious army in 1783. Then it became a butcher's district and homed to elegance in the early 1800s. Then, in 1870, the area saw the rise of flop houses, tenements, brothels, and pawn shops to house immigrants living in America who were arriving offshore from all over the world. It was also around this time that the famous gang, the Bowery Boys, rose to power, led by the infamous Butcher Bill. And if you're familiar with that, you might have Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York to thank for that. The area never really recuperated from this state of being until just over 100 years later. One of the reasons why comes from a rather bright spot in history, when the avenue became one of the first in America to see electricity, trains, and trolleys arrive in 1905. When the trains were installed, however, so too did the overhead track that still stands today, shadowing the street below in darkness. Deemed too dark, and too loud for the middle class, it soon attracted a less fortunate crowd, and fell into degradation. For the better part of that 100-year period, including when our subject today was filmed, the Bowery was New York's Skid Row. It was home to many bars, nightclubs, mills, and mansions, inhabited by the homeless, the drunkards, the thieves, and those just down on their luck. It also developed a reputation nationally for its less-than-stellar reputation, known as Skid Row or Thieves' Highway. To give you some context into that reputation, Theodore Roosevelt, in his later years in life, wrote an essay on the Bowery in 1913 titled Dante and the Bowery. In it, he compares New York's Skid Row to hell in Dante's Inferno. One excerpt from it reads, quote, The Bowery is one of the great highways of humanity, a highway of seething life, of varied interests, of fun, of work, of sordid and terrible tragedy. And it is haunted by demons as evil as any that stalk the pages of the Inferno. End quote. Our subject today was filmed on these very streets of the Bowery, showcasing the people who called it home. The events depicted take place in a three-day time span, and was made by a pioneer of documentary and independent filmmaking in America. 
On the Bowery is a movie from filmmaker Lionel Rogozin. Rogozin was born in Long Island and studied chemical engineering at Yale. Before he graduated, however, he volunteered, like so many of his generation, to serve in World War II, where he entered the Navy. When he came back home, Lionel was determined to take more of an active role in society. Seeing images of the Holocaust in Europe and racism in his home of America, he took up a camera to confront the social evils he was sickened by to try and trigger change. The idea for his first film came very close to home when one day his attention drew to the Bowery. He resigned from his father's textile company and invested $60,000 in the production of our subject today. When asked where the inspiration for his movie-making technique came from, he usually pointed to one director and one movie. The The director he pointed to was Robert Flaherty, who made a lot of great documentary films, especially in the 20s. Maybe the most famous of them is Nanook of the North, which depicted the lives of Inuit people in northern Canada and was released in 1922. The movie he usually pointed to was something that deeply affected him and was hailed for its realism, All Quiet on the Western Front, which was released in 1930. Rogozin's first movie, however, On the Bowery, was released in 1956, using a mix of documentary and scripted sequences to make up its story. The movie follows a man named Ray, who is a former railroad worker who finds himself in the Bowery with just enough money to buy drinks and have a good time. His first stop is at a local bar, where he meets a few men in mid-conversation who are enjoying libations. Sitting down next to them, they strike up conversation and become quick friends. After copious amounts of drinks, we next find Ray waking up to the morning sun laying on the sidewalk outside. As he stirs and recounts how he arrived there, he takes inventory and realizes that his money has been stolen. Without any assets, and only the friends he made the night before, Ray must find a way to survive in the city he now calls home. The movie itself takes place entirely on location, all shot on the streets of the Bowery, or within the building that line its sidewalks. The people we see and follow throughout the film are also not actors, but actual inhabitants of the time, including Ray, the main character. With this film, Rogozin took to the streets and started filming, 
in order to bring attention of the plight of homelessness and alcoholism that was rampant on the streets of the Bowery within his native New York City. Now, alcohol wasn't the impetus of people landing on the Bowery, but it certainly didn't help them get out of the Bowery either. And many people died of alcoholism on the street due to the hopeless living conditions that they found themselves in. And here we see the camera really not pan away all that much. It stays keen on what's happening, but it also lets the people in front of the camera exist. It lets them be. There is a lot of time and space in this movie, which just adds to the realism of it all. But at the same time, he uses montage very, very well. We can see this pretty early on in the movie, when we see shots of New York City. The kind of touristy shots. The glitz, the glam, the buildings. But then interspersed amongst all of that are shots of homeless people being awoken by police, laying down on a park bench, being rounded up inside of a paddy wagon, being helped up on the street from the night before, or just awakening amongst the hustle and bustle of people going to work. Now, for many people, when this movie first came out, it was a rather unflinching look at the life of people not only on the Bowery, but homelessness and alcoholism as a whole. For those unaware of what that looks like, it is pretty eye-opening, to say the least. But that's the whole point, isn't it? To bring attention, turn heads, make people think about the situation they're witnessing on the screen. The first time I saw On the Bowery was maybe 15 years ago. I saw the Blu-ray in, in a store and was intrigued by the cover. It was a line of men at a bar, smoke distilling the air, all of them in mid-conversation. I tried to replicate the shot in the hint for this episode as well. If you're curious, you can look at that on our social media. Upon reading the back, I took a chance and bought it. When I pressed play a couple days later, I didn't really know what to expect, and I too was pretty shocked. It opened my eyes to a lot of things, including the fact that New York City once had a skid row at all, let alone in an area where I used to go to concerts every once in a while. Unfortunately, not many people know about On the Bowery, but it's a groundbreaking film that shined a light on a known problem. It was hailed as being ahead of its time, and even had its greatness realized when it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Film. Some critics, even, especially those in Europe, loved the film and revered it for its realism 
especially looking at the ignored corners of America. For many others, especially here in America upon its release, the film was disgusting, distasteful, and many people thought that it gave the United States a bad image. Critics almost universally scrutinized the film and couldn't look past the imagery that they were seeing to realize the activism and artistry behind the work. Hollywood was also not a fan of On the Bowery because it broke away from what was known, their method of making movies. And through all this, On the Bowery wasn't able to remain buoyant among the rising waters of scrutiny from Hollywood and critics for not sticking to conventions or being too real. Sadly, because of this, not many people saw On the Bowery or paid attention, it wasn't talked about in the papers, and was almost buried, in fact. Now, while some activism occurred elsewhere, the Bowery itself largely remained unchanged after its release. In fact, it actually got a lot worse, to where instead of mainly worrying about drunkards, robbery, fights, and homelessness, the 1970s saw narcotics, stabbings, and murder become regular occurrences. All of this ended, finally, in 1980, when the area began to become a bit safer. Now, that safeness came out of gentrification, which clearly isn't the best way to solve a problem, but it did clean up the streets and lowered crime in the area. And little by little, some of the area's mainstays were exiting stage left. One of the infamous victims of this gentrification was a famous concert hall called CBGB's, which had played host to countless legendary rock, punk, and metal shows. The Bowery has a long history of comings and goings, and little evidence of its reputation of Thieves Highway still remains today. There is one remnant that is still there, though. One of the missions that helped support the less fortunate of the area, the Bowery Mission, is still standing in the same place it stood for over 140 years. The mission has seen a lot, but it's always tried to help the people of the area. The mission is also depicted in On the Bowery, so if you're in the area, stop by. You can see some history and something that was in our subject today. Now, despite not being able to see the old scars, On the Bowery remains a testament to how this area used to be, and serves as a great symbol of activism. In 2008, 
it was selected to be preserved within the National Film Archives by the Library of Congress. It not only ushered in a new way of telling stories through film, but it also opened doors for independent cinema to exist in. Despite its mixed critical acclaim, countless filmmakers drew inspiration from the movie, including John Cassavetes. If you like documentaries, history, or like discovering different filmmaking techniques and movements, I highly recommend checking out On the Bowery. Its realism and grit leaves a lasting impression that I think you'll appreciate. If you'd like to watch On the Bowery for yourself, you can find it on a variety of streaming services. At the time of this recording, you can find it on Canopy. Canopy is a streaming service of tremendous value with a very diverse list of offerings. If you like things like our subject today, things of document and history, Canopy has a lot of great options for you. Canopy is a unique service in that it's sponsored by the library system and is totally free for anybody with a library card. You can also find On the Bowery on the Criterion channel, at least while the New York Stories collection is there. The Criterion channel is a streaming service from our friends at the Criterion Collection that offers a fantastic catalog for any new or seasoned film fan, with pricing tiers ranging from with pricing tiers including $9.99 per month or $99 per year, which was what I chose to do. You can also find On the Bowery using services including Kino Now for $4.99 and Prime Video for $2.99. This episode was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the show, visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There you'll find more info about the show and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, the blog page on our website features each episode in written form as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema. Cinema.